0: Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G Two, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris.
1: Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me again here uh, Tuesday for the Talent Talk Radio Show. I'll be your host, uh, Chris Dyer, and uh, I have a great lineup of guests today, and we've got a incredible future for the rest of the year planned out as well. So make sure you come back and join us and hear all the great guests. So. Just in case this is the first time you're tuning in, uh, as my uh, usual, kind of explain to you how the show works. Uh, we feature a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. In the business world, uh, talent really has a couple different meanings, and I kind of try to focus on two. The first is how it relates to success, and how really talented people. Have achieve that success. And the second is how uh, talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. So we'd like to explore those two different areas along with how talented individuals impact a company's culture. Uh, the guests on the show uh, typically include CEOs, HR execs, entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, just all kinds of incredible leaders from all different industries and what usually happens is I'm at a networking event or a conference, and I have the privilege of meeting one of these leaders, and instead of just cornering them and asking them 100 questions uh, that only I get to hear the answers to, I decided to bring them onto a show that seemed a little less creepy, and uh, we can ask them a few questions and even get uh, some of your questions here as well. So I really created this forum to allow you to listen in our, our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will help you cultivate talent and develop leaders and manage culture. And most importantly, hopefully you can impact your own career in a positive way and maybe take away at least one thing today that you can go back and use. So uh, thank uh, really a special thank you to everyone who's tuning in live here every Tuesday. Um, If you have a question for one of my guests, just submit them on Twitter. All you got to do is uh, type out the question somewhere, put in at people G two, and the hashtag talent talk would be great as well. And my producer Mike will get that and immediately try to help me feed that into the show. Don't forget, you can uh, also. Get a podcast of this show on iTunes. You can open up the podcast app on any Apple device or on any device. You can open up the iHeartRadio app and you can listen to past shows anytime you want. That's actually how most of you do it. Just from the iTunes side of it, we're just about to 231,000 of you who are coming in and downloading that every week, and we really appreciate you doing that. Thank you to all the listeners. uh, you know, for, for their support, um, and check out all those different ways to, to do that. But let's go ahead and get today's show. My first get, guest is uh, Robin Stratton. <laughs> now, my producer is, is already, he, he's trying to see if I'm going to mess up the names. I have a tendency to screw up people's names, even someone named John Smith, I probably would say Smythe or something, right, but Robin Stratton uh, Burkessel. Uh, I think I'm close, Positive, uh, positivity strategist and author, and my second guest will be, uh, and no easier pronunciation here, Eric uh, Sokol, uh, founder, I know it sounds like Eric, but that's not how it's spelled, it's, uh, anyways, founder and CEO of uh, Percisely. I look forward to speaking to Eric here at the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get to our first guest, Robin, welcome.
2: Thank you, Chris, and good job on the name. All
1: right, glad we didn't mess it up too bad here. I may have just earned a nickel. We had a, a small, small <laughs> wager on the side. So. Uh, so, tell us, tell everyone here about yourself and what you're currently doing.
2: Absolutely, thank you. I'm delighted actually to be a guest on your show, Chris. And um, I, well, I just want to say that I really liked your introduction. In fact, you talked about dialogue because that's what I'm about: practical application and how you impact positively so they're all very key to what I do so that was a really nice gave me a great segue um, to come in and talk to you so um, I describe myself Chris as a designer and facilitator of positive change and what that means is I share what works and I facilitate processes to enable other people to identify what works for them in their life in their work in their communities And in sharing, um, as you mentioned, I'm published both um, in print and digitally. I also have a podcast. I develop online courses. I teach at university advanced applications of my preferred methodology, which is appreciative inquiry. So I think at heart I'm a teacher. I'm a coach. I'm a human developer.
1: Well, it sounds like you're, you've got a lot you're doing and being able to share your message in a lot of different mediums, it sounds like. But let's maybe take a, a step here towards going a little bit deeper on, you know, what does a positive strategist really do and, and, and how positively helps uh, people in all, all you know different aspects of their lives?
2: Yeah, great. Um, well, I made up the name.
1: Kudos, wanted, there. that's I, good. <laughs>
2: I wanted to put a different shingle out there other than coach and organization development practitioner. And since my my methodology, my preferred methodology is looking at what works and using the, the lens of appreciative inquiry as a change methodology, it really is about um, helping people. We can go out there and say that there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work in the world, right? And we have this negativity bias right so you know by evolution we know that um we look for things that could go wrong and we do that for very good reasons it's useful it keeps us safe and it, it alerts us to danger so this old reptilian brain you know um is the old fight or flight brain but we've come through our acculturation and our evolutionary process to rely on that too much and it keeps us small it keeps us fearful it keeps our thinking narrow it can close us off to other human beings and it releases a whole lot of chemicals that you know long-term don't do us any good so the good news is that we can learn our way out of that default and positivity is something that we can learn it actually it facilitates our way of looking at what works in the world what's to be celebrated and so much is so really it's about a conscious effort to focus on what we can do and you know that takes us into identifying what our strengths are um, what gives us great joy who are the people that really allow us to grow where are we most energized rather than depleted so there's so much that's part of this whole ecosystem of positivity it's not just about positive thinking it's it's much much more than that it's about when you start to look at what works some of the quiet, positive emotions about gratitude and compassion and and generosity. What does that do to the relationships that we have, to the cultures that we're part of, to our creative processes? So I have great joy in, in working with individuals and communities and people all over the world in focusing on those things that will give them great, a sense of greater capability and that they can make a difference in their lives.
1: Well, you you started to to kind of go down uh, a similar path that we've been on on the show before, and we haven't talked about it in a while, so it might be a good opportunity to kind of revisit it for a lot of the new listeners. I had this sort of aha moment in cornering a lot of these people at at different uh, events and conferences before I had the show and asking them all these questions. And one of the questions I used to ask them sort of centered around this idea of, you know, should I be working on those things that I'm not good at? Mm-hmm. Uh, should I be working to get better at things that I'm just not inherently good at, I don't like doing because everyone around me and society in general is telling me that I should. Mm-hmm. Um and yet they would tell me yes because that's the answer everyone believes and then I my follow up to them was but is that what you do? And they was, "Oh no, I don't. Not at all." <laughs> And it was like, wait a minute, you're perpetuating the lie, but yeah, that's not what you do. And that said, so no, I focus only on what's really, what I'm really good at and I really like to do and everything else I sort of give to other people or I have, you know, I outsource it or whatever. And mm. that, especially for work, that seems to be kind of where I've landed in the idea that that's a good way to, to, to sort of operate now. I've found the one little asterisk to that, that you can't really operate that way in a relationship, you know, with your spouse, you do have to work on some of those things that you're not good at. If you, if you don't want to, you know, be completely unhappy, but it seems like in, in a work environment, especially if you are really ch- focusing on those things that you're good at, and that you're getting that positive feeling about that, you you know, instead of someone asking you to do the accounting when you have no idea how to do the books, I mean, suddenly you have frustration, you have negativity, all these all these things. So what are your thoughts on, on kind of that idea of what that I just presented?
2: Yeah, well, I think, you know, definitely there's a lot of work. And in the last, um, I'd say, 20 years or so, there's been a stronger focus on strengths. And, you know, that has been popularized and... Um, authenticated and affirmed through a lot of the work that came out of um um, Clifton um Don Clifton from the Gallup Poll so he created the Strengths Finder I use a particular instrument that focuses on character strengths called the VIA instrument so absolutely um focusing on what gives you greatest energy so I think strengths needs to be defined as what makes you feel or you feel that you can do naturally. So if you have a talent for music or you have a talent for maths, then developing that talent so you become much better at it is going to be far easier for you and you're going to feel more satisfied and more productive if you are working to the things that come with greatest ease it's not to say that you don't need to mitigate your weaknesses because you know we need to lead a balanced life and sometimes particularly if you're an entrepreneur or you you work in a small organization or even a large you have to do some of the things you know some of the yuck stuff that you don't want to have to do so so essentially though it's if you if you can develop the things that you have this talent for, it's going to be more, you're going to be more resourceful. You're going to come, it's going to come more easily to you and consequently you'll probably be far more productive and more satisfied. Now when it comes to your, you know, to your relationships in a personal sense, if you can identify your partner's strengths and you see the things that um, energize them, that make them feel good and you, you develop the relationship to that you're going to have a more successful relationship than continually kind of uh, criticizing or um or hitting against the things that they find more challenging so and if you can work if you can identify somebody's sweet spots you're going to get better results and have a stronger relationship so it works both ways
1: yeah i remember reading uh, getting some Really good insight to that. Um, I forget the author's name, but there's some great books out there about the, the I think it's the five love languages. And yeah. and they have those for kids and they've got them for teens. Yeah. And, and it's fantastic because it's great that it helps you identify the ways in which you like to express love, but it helps those people around you understand what they can do to show you love. Because we, I think unknowingly don't realize, but we're showing people that we love them through the way we like to be loved. Mm-hmm. And so we're saying, I love you. I love you. And they're saying they're not getting it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're kind of miscommunicating in this sense. And they, they might need something different. And it's a fantastic book. If anyone hasn't uh, t- taken a look, but it, it kind of channels the same idea. What are these positive things that you can do an interpersonal level and to be in tune with people I don't, know how, I don't know if that, that directly kind of you know falls in line with it in, for positivity and a, what a positivity strategist might do here. We'll kind of talk a little bit more about work, but uh, light bulb suddenly came in my head when you were talking.
2: Oh, absolutely! And you know, the really good news is um, that it can be learned. So you there are little practices it's like you can learn these skills to be more positive and being more positive means that you're being more resourceful and when you're more resourceful you are you are helping yourself and you're helping the people that you're in relationship with so you know if you're continually finding life a struggle and you're feeling de-energized you're not helping anyone
1: yeah yeah and that's and usually when you feel de-energized it's because you're doing so many of the things that you, you're that don't bring you that positive feeling that you're not are not a core strength for you.
2: Yeah, it's somebody um, else's story that you might be living out rather yeah. than finding out what your own story is. Right. So somebody else expects something of you, and so you buy into that, which may not be the thing that is a life force for you. I mean, the thing is that this is all about putting your put. You know, it's a life centric view of the world. What makes us really feel at our best when we can feel valued and we can contribute and so you know in organizational cultures in relationships in countries as well you know it it really has as I said it's an ecosystem so it can go from the individual feeling really good about yourself and having this positive self-image and love and then it just kind of ripples out and you can go mega with it
1: yeah, yeah. And and obviously someone needs to think deeply about this and be honest with themselves. You know, the the smart aleck answer is, well, I'm going to feel great if you pay me a million dollars to sit on the couch and watch TV all day. But that's not really what we're talking about. I mean, we're expecting we're all going to go to work. We're all going to work hard. And there yeah. are these deep things that we can really think about yeah. and do and contribute to an organization that are helpful to ourselves, to our own career, but also helpful to yeah. the organization, to those around us, our peers, our bosses, whatever it may be.
2: Yeah. And I think, Chris, what you're alluding to there is seeking meaning. Yeah. Right? It's not just about pleasure. Um, so, you know, when we think about happiness and, you know, happiness is a positive emotion. So, you know, there are all kinds, there's happiness that comes from just pleasurable moments like eating an ice cream, you know, you can think of all the things that might give you pleasure, but really in the deeper sense that you're um, referring to, it's, how do you make meaning? I mean, what is what is meaningful for t- to you, and how do you make sense out of the relationships and the work that you do? If you can't find meaning and it doesn't make sense to you, it's not. You're not going to feel happy. Yeah, you're absolutely. not going to feel positive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the the things that we tend to kind of look at here on the show is um, leadership development, and so I'm wondering, you know, just even from an organizational perspective, how you think this. Uh, what you're talking about, what you're teaching and what you're, um, coaching, um, in the area of positivity, how can that help leaders to not only become better leaders themselves, but also really spark that change in those that they, you know, are mentoring and trying to have them become leaders one day in the organization?
2: Yeah, well, I think, you know, it comes down to what kind of leader you are. And I, um, for me it's are you a participatory leader meaning that you as a leader understand or see value in all the multiple perspectives that people bring to the organization um so it means being um being open to possibilities and allowing for people to self-express to have a growth mindset so I think when you have a, for leadership, if if you have if you're a leader and you see that you want to encourage people to speak up, to have a voice, to feel a valued contributor, to have some kind of say in where the organization's going and some of the decisions, you're for, far more likely to have an energised team around you, people who actually want to contribute. So there are practices around um, being far more open as a leader being far more curious about the contributions of people and understanding the value of, you know, one person today, increasingly today in this complex world and that we have, that we no one person, one group, one authority has the answers anymore, right? It's all about the different multiple perspectives that we bring. And so I think when you can create that kind of culture or that kind of ethos, um, you can get a group of people who will stand behind you and support you and together in a collaborative way you know you can you can achieve far more and,
1: and maybe you could share one of those excuse me those exercises or things that you're talking about that someone can do to to improve their ability as a leader
2: um, sure um, so here's a situation I was um, I was working in a bank, working as a consultant as a facilitator in a bank, and um, they just had this mega global rollout of a new software release. And um, you know, often things don't go exactly as you want them, and you know, it's always kind of like let's go back to the drawing board and find out what we have to do differently. So what ha- I was sitting in on this meeting, and what happened is that the the the, the leader of the group said so many things went wrong in that we have to do a post-mortem and let's make sure that these things don't happen again and the the tone was very negative the energy was down people were looking at the floor twiddling their thumbs you know it was just not a very nice environment so um, after that what we decided to do a retake and so the leader you know I was there coaching and so the leader then said well look you know a lot of things really went well with this rollout So why don't we start with recognizing some of the things that went really well. What were some of the positives that you heard from the client? What were some of the things that you recognize in your colleagues that worked really well? So let's just go around and find out some of the things that we want to acknowledge each other for. And then we will also then focus on the things that we need to do differently and some of the things that we have to change. So what that does, of course, is that it lifts the spirits. People kind of no longer feel they're in that blame game, but they're able to compliment each other, feel relieved about what worked well, and then they're ready to get into the stuff that needs work fixing. And so you then end up with this different kind of environment that people then are willingly to deal with the hard stuff. But if you go straight to the hard stuff and the negative stuff and the unpleasant stuff first, People emotionally get drained and pulled down, and close off. All the things that I mentioned at the outset about what negativity does to us, as opposed to what positivity. So positivity opens us up. So if, for the leader, you can open up and focus on the things that people are proud of first, mm-hmm. then they are far more receptive to be able to deal with the, you know, the crappy stuff.
1: Yeah, it's a simple change to start one place instead of another. I mean,
2: absolutely. W-
1: we talk about an organization about just the first thing you do when you see someone is smile, right? You just start off with that positive interaction and suddenly everything that happens after that does seem to be better. Um, even if it's a difficult conversation, even if it's a, a a boring conference call or whatever it is, if you're just starting it with something positive, yeah, um, it can make a big difference.
2: Because yeah. it's that contagion effect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, something, you know, there are a lot of little expressions that I love to use and they're principles really. What you focus on grows. So if you start focusing on things that you want, you'll live yourself into that. It's positive image. You hold a positive view and then positive action follows.
1: Right, and, and does that get into what I know you talk about uh, the participatory leadership? Um, it is, do you think that that needs to come from from leaders to start, or is that something that the organization needs to do, you know, overall at the same time?
2: Well, I think it comes down to, you know, your own view of, uh, of what leadership is. So if you, as I say, if you believe that um, everyone really actually comes to work or starts a job with a good intention that they want to do well they want to contribute they want to have a sense of belonging after all we are social beings right we we want to belong we want to have relationships we want to feel valued so if you can create a climate or that um, fosters that kind of experience for people then they're more likely to want to participate so coming from the leader if you You know the participatory side is the is the flip side of being very authoritarian or being very controlling or micromanaging so to be participatory invites participation and if if that is your inclination as a human being as a leader and again you can learn that then you're far far more likely to have people who will willingly follow and find their own leadership. So, you know, the participatory leader will look for the leadership qualities in others.
1: Right. And I think we all know, maybe it's just sort of intuitive that when someone's micromanaging and they're leading in that fashion, there has a sense of negativity to it, that we know it's coming from fear. We know it's coming from a lack of trust. We know it's coming from this, whatever's going on with them or their past. And, and so even though they're not, maybe they're not being mean, they're not necessarily not being positive, but the, that, that choice to manage that way comes from some source of negativity. At least that's been my perspective or my experience. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and so I when you it, change yeah. that, you have that a positive uh, effect mm-hmm. instead, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you know, there, I think the role is um, for a coach or it might, be more serious it might require therapy is to facilitate that awareness within that leader and understanding the impacts of their behavior and their language mm-hmm. on the troops so to speak so if you can create that kind of awareness or that start that sense of wow you know the the way I'm behaving the things that I'm saying at the moment are not having the results that I want therefore I've got to change what I'm doing to get the results that I want
1: right absolutely well uh one of our favorite questions to ask our guests um because we really enjoy the the answers and our our listeners really enjoy uh checking out their suggestions but is there a book that you're reading right now
2: (laughs) yeah um i am just reading a book from one of my um colleagues at the task institute in fact he's the um the chairman of the board of directors, um, Ken Gergen, and he was a guest on my show a couple of weeks ago, and he's he has a wonderful book called The Introduction to Social Construction, and it's very, it's written in layman's terms because social construction is um, is a fascinating an area of fascination, an area of study for me. And he, he describes so what social construction is in very simple layman terms. And I would recommend it to anyone who is interested in understanding that, that communication and language and all the constructs in the world come from our social interactions. So the words that I use create the world that I see. So it's it's just fascinating to understand. And I think, you know, we live in this world of connection today and social media and technology has really facilitated 24-7 connection. So if we're going to be connecting effectively and growing a relational world, then truly understanding some of the um, practices and the orientation um, behind social constructionism I think is a really valuable thing for people to you know invest some energy into so that's one that i'm reading and i'm also reading another colleague's book called appreciative increase of the 3.0 kind and he also was a guest um, on my show and he um, is talking about this worldview of appreciative inquiry as being again one of um, helping us collaborate connect and become whole human beings so there's a lot of practical stuff there and there's a lot of philosophical stuff kind of linked
1: well at uh they both sound fascinating and i'm sure our uh, listeners would love to check them out i know i'm going to be looking to check them out how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about you or your 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 business or have you consult or anything like that
2: sure chris thank you it's quite simple my my website is um dot com, and um i wonder i mean i i i have a a training called um, be an agent for positive change because that's what I'm really on about how to how can people become agents for positive change in the world because the world needs it so um, I can give a link to that and there, people could download that at a severe discount if that's something that you would be interested in Sure.
1: What we can do is we'll put that. Uh, we'll have you get that link over to my producer Mike, and we'll put that out on the blog post. And if it's a short link, we could have you say it now. I don't know if it's. It's that... very short. Oh link. yeah, go ahead.
2: So it's positivitystrategist slash course.
1: All right. Well, that's easy enough. They can check that out, and if they want to, uh, to go deeper, they can. So, Robin, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I Really look forward to maybe uh, having you come back at some point and giving us some more uh, tips on uh, positivity.
2: It was my pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Chris, for the invitation.
1: Up next is uh, Eric Sokol. Uh, He'll join me after this quick commercial break. Mm
2: higher
0: when it comes to pioneers in their respective industries we all know the apples starbucks and trader joe's of the world in the realm of recruiting decision toolbox is the industry's best kept secret with 90 percent of their business from referrals and repeat customers For over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results, a cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge, with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com
1: for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, you can uh, visit us at talenttalkradio.com. Uh, you can get the podcast on your um uh, Apple device uh, by typing in Talent Talk or you can go to the iHeartRadio app and on, on any device or even online and you can uh, find us there love to have you listen to our past shows but you can always tune in live here um, on, uh, you can get us through TuneIn Radio and uh, you can get use as an app or on the link but uh, really appreciate everyone who's there supporting us and listening um, just as a reminder you can also send us uh, that question if you have one here for our next guest on uh, Twitter at PeopleG2, use that hashtag talent talk, and we'll try to get him uh, to answer your questions. But let's go ahead and get to my next guest, which is Arik Sokol. Apparently, I've been saying it wrong, so I've now lost that nickel that I earned uh, earlier for saying the first guest's uh, name correctly. But he's the founder and CEO of Precisely. So, uh, Arik, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, for it. And I will hold that against you.
1: Promise. All right. I'm, I'm, you've probably been fighting that that battle your whole life. So, um, Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: So, Ever since I remember.
1: So we'll just blame your parents. Then I'm, I'm I'm off the hook.
3: Oh, they're they're the ones to blame for sure.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, tell us all about a little bit about yourself and about your company.
3: Great. Now, first off, I just want to say I'm really humbled to have a chance to you know, to really share the precisely story and uh, my experiences with your listeners. I know you've got a lot of people in this space, and uh, you know, truly, truly a pleasure. Um, glad to have you. So a little bit about. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, A little about me, you know, I started, uh, so basically I've been a systems engineer most of my professional career at some amazing organizations. Genentech, Roche, Salesforce, Code42. You know, the the best thing and the most common thread is that I've been extremely lucky to have great managers that really allowed me, you know, a chance to shape the organization um, from, like, creating custom applications, solutions, to solving a lot of those infrastructure tool problems that, you know, there were no solutions for, especially around the Mac because it was, you know, just this new thing that's showing up in organizations. Um, But, you know, having built strong relationships over time in this space um, and co-founding MacBrain.org, I'm not sure you've heard of that, uh, but it's basically a community of hundreds of the most talented Mac admins and engineers that I know personally. Um, I got this really great idea. Like, we have this great community. We help each other out. Why not do something different, uh, something completely f- in a foreign industry, HR specifically, uh, to make a bigger impact and make hiring personal again? So that's kind of how it uh, came about with Pierce Heisley one afternoon.
1: So you know, you're you're, you're a system engineer and an analyst and uh, doing system uh, analysis, and then you know, what kind of really pushed you to get into this venture to start your own company? Because You know, most entrepreneurs don't come from a system engineering background and sound like you were doing some good work with where you're at. So what kind of got you to take that leap?
3: Um, It kind of came down to, you know, over time I've realized, you know, being at the hiring front, also being recruited, um, there were bigger fish to fry. There was this thing that, you know, always bugged me, and that was the hiring process, Uh, and specifically in my area, It was so difficult to find quality Mac engineers and infrastructure people, Uh, and what recruiters provided me were, were, you know, ridiculous in the sense that, oh, yeah, they worked at an Apple store. That really truly makes them a great infrastructure engineer, right? So that's kind of been something that I've been dealing with uh, over time um, and wanted to see what I can do to, to help and try something new.
1: So, uh, you know, then from a, a leadership perspective, you know, you started this company and you got it going. What, what are some of the challenges that you've had to overcome, you know, with having a new venture?
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been, it's been crazy. Uh, that's, I think mean, that's the one word that I would probably label it. Um, and it's really tough starting a corporation, you know, from the ground up. Um, it basically, I, and I tell everybody about it, it's, it's a fast track MBA um, where you're basically learning on the fly. You know, not only project management, financial, legal, uh, marketing, sales, but, you know, you also just got to get things done, uh, and you got to move fast and hope you don't make too many mistakes. And, uh, you know, I've made my share of mistakes, but I try to learn and and make sure I don't make the same ones over again, so at least I'm uh, improving.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, (laughs) that's kind of entrepreneurship 101. Make mistakes and fix them quickly and don't worry about them too much because um, we, all, we all make a lot, yeah, a, a lot of them. Yeah, uh, a lot of them. You know, maybe talk about the hiring platform that, that uh, you've sort of alluded to here and how you connect the hiring managers and the candidates.
3: So just a little bit about precisely. Um, so the platform is basically driven by peers, uh, colleagues, friends, former coworkers, uh, just to help people uh, help others find opportunities. You know peers people that you've worked with uh they understand a lot of the intangibles that you know a resume could never capture so what we want to do uh incentivize these people uh, by doing well for their friends and for their colleagues but also doing good for charities that they believe in uh and maybe even give an opportunity to to make some cash externalizing the employee referral bonus uh basically to anyone not just those within an organization Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with that, we've, we've seen, you know, and I'm sure you would agree that employer referrals are, are basically the most effective statistically uh, in bringing the, the best talent. You know, they start fast, they fit well, uh, and they stay for the long haul, uh, unlike, you know, a lot of the other candidates that come through uh, and then get picked up by someone else.
1: So so, uh, so are those the, the sort of major ways that you think uh, – that your software, your your option here, is better than the traditional hiring models, or is there more to it than that?
3: Uh, Well, we, you know, what I feel is that it's more efficient. Um, You know, leveraging the employee referral model that we know works with an organization, which brings in a huge percentage of hires overall, why not, you know, build it out so that references come first? Letting referrals kind of drive, the great candidates, the great people that can actually change an organization so that the managers see those first, uh, instead of searching through hundreds, of thousands of a resume come, resumes coming through job boards, coming from external recruiting services, uh, and then, you know, missing out on those great candidates that uh, would be a perfect fit, but just didn't have the right keywords on a resume, right? That's, that's the worst thing that, that could happen.
1: And so this sort of platform then becomes a real unique opportunity for companies who are trying to hire someone, you know, especially if they're recommended and they come out with a level of trust in that recommendation. So is that trust factor something that companies are really looking for or is it more, they want like the ease of, of having, you know, a platform where people are sort of, you know, been all kind of ready to go for them.
3: I think both matter. Um, You know, trust, Trust is priceless, and it's something that's been around forever, right? People brought in, people introduced their, their peers saying, hey, you got to hire this person, and that has worked historically. That doesn't scale, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, with, with trust, they also want, you know, automation. They want to be able to use the tools that they have um, and let it come through the natural way so that they don't have to retrain their staff. Um, and I think, you know, by putting, you know, repu- you know putting some, someone putting their reputation on the line with a recommendation – uh, this trust, you know, really should showcase that maybe I should look at this person. Uh, and what we want to do is really, you know, look at performance. Look at people's history of referring others to opportunities. How good are they? Have they been successful in landing interviews for them? Have they hired people? You know, where are they good at? Where are they are not not so good at? And showcasing and, and basically staggering in the in in nice list who we think are the best potential candidates. Because, you know, all referrals count, but we have to be able to, you know, at least showcase who we think are the cream of the crop on top.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and then I'm sure that you've had some experience, uh, you know, with managing people or having employees, you know, in, in your, your, your previous entrepreneur life, so as a system engineer, and then, you know, you go start a company and you have other people either working directly for you or having to coordinate them as partners and, and, and there all the different pieces that go into that. What have you learned? Do you think about motivating and engaging employees to get the best out of them?
3: Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it took some time for me to learn. I was always an individual contributor, so for me, it was if I don't do it, it's not going to get done right. Right, that was always my perspective. Um, but then, you know, when you start a startup or when you're uh, you know, dealing with a larger team, the reality is you just you just can't scale and do everything yourself. Um, and so the most important thing, you know, it comes back to trust. You got to trust your peers, uh, and your employees and you got to empower them, you know, do what they do best and coach them where they need to improve. Uh, and that's the biggest thing. If you, you know, if you don't, you know, take risks as, as, you know, as a, as an employee, um, you do that because you're afraid of accountability, right? Uh, accountability is the elephant in the room and it's a lot easier to pass the buck and play it safe, Right. Um, but you know, I think by helping your team build confidence, and more importantly, allowing failure as part of the personal and professional growth, uh, you know, shielding from from the outcomes as a manager. I mean, you'd be surprised what people are capable of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you're still here in this your infancy, uh, as it relates to a new company being uh, established here for just over a year. Uh, what is the type of culture that you're really trying to establish uh, here in the early goings uh, that you really like to see you know continue to, to flourish as you as you grow?
3: Yeah, culture has been key. Um, you know, we're, we've been we started a little over a year ago but our probably actually launched just just about five months ago. Uh, and we're still a pretty small team uh, but you know culture is what really motivates people and, and keeps them coming back to even at the toughest times, right, especially in early-stage startups. Um, so, you know, at Precisely, we live by the motto, do well, do good, um, which is why charity is how we really describe our culture. We feel that everyone has responsibility not only to look out for others, uh, like their friends, or peers, through the Precisely platform, uh, but also for their community, local, national, and global. Um, and, you know, what really bugs me is when, you know, when you hear, I'm too busy, way too often, and what I think that really means is that you simply don't care. It's just it's just about you. Um, but, you know, our employees, they're really active and charitable in communities, whether it's their time, um, both on a professional level, you know, with Precisely, but also on a personal level. Um, we basically do whatever we can, coupling fitness and charity, team building with things like Ragnar Relays, Best Buddy Bike and uh, Running fundraisers. Uh, whatever it is to really, you know, bring us together and you know work for a bigger cause, and that's basically that has become a way of life rather than you know something that's kind of instilled within our organization, and it keeps everyone motivated and and they truly make an impact on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, and and you know those are really important things I think for 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 comp- anyone in in starting a new company or working on their existing uh, company's culture and. One you know, of the things that we tend to always ask is, um, you know, being in the, the type of situation that you're in, I'm wondering if you had some opportunities to kind of evolve as a leader over time. Um, very often people realize that their skills and abilities in one situation is now really not applicable to being an entrepreneur and you have to sort of change. Um, and for other people, they just feel like they're adding on to what maybe they already started. Uh, What's what sort of your experience as you're you know evolving as a leader over time?
3: Yeah, it really, it started really early on in my life. Um, so I'm an immigrant to this country, um, originally from Poland. Uh, we came to the U.S., one-way passport and two American dollars, one suitcase. It was my parents, my sister, and I. Um, my dad was a leader in the solid, solidarity movement in Poland. Um, and, you know, growing up, helping my family make ends meet, whether it's helping my parents, you know, learn English, because I learned it faster, uh, building, you know, my childhood at home with my dad because, it basically came with a convertible floor and ceiling. So there's a lot of work to be done. Um, or even helping my mom with her cleaning business on the weekends, cleaning offices. Um, I mean, nothing comes for free at all. It requires super hard work. Um, and I think what, you know, has really made me who I am is the idea of never settling. Um, and that's kind of been ingrained in me. Uh, I always take calculator risk ever since I can remember. Uh, and that's kind of how I built my career very quickly. Um, and you know what, and always doing the right thing and not whatever's easiest, because a lot of people take the easy route. Uh, and that's just something that I would never do. Um, and that's kind of what made me, you know, persistent uh, and become a valued engineer and a leader in the space um, and become, you know, someone that people can look up to in my community and I precisely.
1: Well, it sounds like you've uh, started to figure it out, and uh, that's really uh, great to hear. You know, if, if you look, if you think back, I mean, you get some, some original stories there about your parents, and it sounds like they were very entrepreneurial themselves, which uh, very often is uh, where people get it. And uh, But I'm wondering if there was anyone else uh, in your life that really had an impact on you as, you know, kind of developing who you are as a leader or who you are as a person.
3: Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I've been lucky, and I think the, you know, my management and also leaders uh, in my organization, specifically when I worked at Genentech, uh, Todd Pierce, uh, close friend of mine as well, he was the CIO, and Chris Jones, who was the VP of Ops, they really, you know, understood my vision. They really guided me, they mentored me, um, and they're actually now on my board, of directors as well. Um, have really, you know, given me the freedom to to really, you know choose my path uh, and do what I think is right and just trusted me along the way uh, but also coached me um, whenever I needed it especially n- nowadays uh, in a startup world so
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely well um, is there a, I'm wondering we always ask this question is there a book that you're reading right now
3: books I've read lots of entrepreneur books uh, for the last 18 months um, it's some of my greatest lean Startup. Delivering Happiness, uh, Hooked, um, all are very inspirational um, and have very valuable nuggets that I've kind of taken and used over and over again. Um, but, you know, with, with reading books, there's hundreds of pages that you have to go through in order to get those two nuggets. So these days, I find myself really looking into uh, blogs, you know, in the industry, and in the startup, and also hitting up Quora for specific insights so there's any specific things that I'm looking for Um, those are kind of like what I go to on a regular basis throughout the day, every day. But if I had to choose a book that I actually refer to quite often, I would say it's startup life, um, surviving and driving in a relationship with an entrepreneur. So my wife too, uh, she, she purchased and, and read this book and basically forced me to move it up my priority list. And let's say I had like 15 books on that list of, uh, of things I must read. Um, but, you know, really jumping headfirst into a startup can really put some serious strain on a relationship. You know, you, you sacrifice your personal time uh, to the never-ending demands of a startup. So uh, it really helped her understand uh, understand what the tsunami that was coming at us and also allowed us to prepare having those tough, honest conversations um, and creating contracts of expectations just to make sure that we, you know, survive the storm for us. Right. Uh, and I think that's... That is the biggest thing ever, and I think that's the most viable thing. Um, and she's actually uh, she's she's the president of Precisely United, which is our 501c3 foundation that handles all of our charitable aspects. And she's uh doing her own great things for the community independently as well. So you know we're we're in it together, and she's always been supportive. Um, and I think that book, and I always refer to it for that reason.
1: Well, it sounds like a great one to check out, and I'm sure our uh, listeners will uh, look forward to uh, possibly checking that out and reading it for themselves. Um, I know you mentioned a, a lot of good things here today. Is there anything, if you were to summarize, you know, a point or two that, you know, you think someone listening should have should have heard or remembered?
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's easy kind of, you know, bringing back the message. It's easy to stick to status quo, uh, and that's, you know, going back to, the, to hiring, sticking to traditional hiring methods. You know, they're easy, and you'll get the same unsatisfactory results. Um, you know, there's a lot of great startups. We're not the only one out there. You know, there's there's leaders uh, that are taking a huge risk, you know, personally, professionally, you know, trying to get their ideas and really trying to improve hiring. So my my biggest message that I want to give back to, to your listeners is, you know, give them a shot and uh, really help shape, shape, into a, shape them into a platform that, you know, you've always been dreaming about. You know, it takes – it takes time and energy, yeah, uh, but also, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy digging through those, you know, virtual stacks of hundreds, thousands of resumes uh, or choosing the wrong candidate. That's, that's the biggest waste. Um, and I think, I think together, you know, some of these great ideas uh, and support from, from HR, HR heads and leaders in the organization, I think we can do some crazy awesome stuff uh, in the coming future.
1: Well, if people are interested in learning more about uh, you, your company, what you're doing, what's the best way for them to uh, to find out more?
3: So you can always reach me directly. I'm Eric at Precisely, A R E K, and Precisely is P E E R D I S E L Y dot com. Uh, we're on Twitter at Precisely, on Facebook, Pinterest. However, suits you the best. Uh, you know, just connect with us, and you know, let's change the face of hiring together.
1: Well, Eric, really. Uh R, excuse me, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and uh, really appreciate you uh, sharing your story and hopefully we can have you come back. Maybe uh, in a year or two we'll we'll hear about your uh, incredible success and all the things that you're doing with your hundreds of employees now that you have.
3: No, that would be awesome, and I look forward to having that conversation. All right. We'll have a lot more to talk about.
1: (laughs) All right. Thanks so much for being on the show. Um, Be sure to tune in at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time next Tuesday, October 27th. My guests will include uh, Tom Dowd, VP of Risk Management for TD, as well as an author, trainer, and coach, uh, Janet uh, Peffler. She's a a radio host and president and CEO of uh, uh, I don't know if it's Piefner or Pefner, I I always forget, but uh, Power Seminar. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.